This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman, Mobile Home Park Lawyer here again with another podcast. Today, we're going to launch some uh, property management 101. I just released a podcast on property management contracts, but today we're going to get more into the actual operations of property management as part of a little mini-series here. First person we're going to talk to, good friend of mine, longtime friend, um, been, a, been working with my company here for about two and a half years, great property manager. Please help me welcome Austin Marsh to the show. Austin, how you doing, man? Hey, Ferg, how's it going? Great to be good. here. Good, man. And you, you, now you can't say I've never said anything good about you. So right. I, I, just, I, just, I just lied for you on, on national TV. They've got a big following here. Uh, for everything. I'm just giving you crap. Austin, I have a, a nice uh, buddy relationship where we're always razzing each other. And uh, I like to pick on him, but uh, don't tell the HR department because they know. Wait, that's me too. So just kidding. <laughs> Austin, I know you real well, obviously. Tell me, tell the rest of us more about yourself and how you got into this business. And, and then we'll go from there and talk about MHP operations. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I never thought I would, I would be in uh, the MHP business, but here I am. In, uh, and I'm it. it's, it's exciting. It is an exciting business. Um, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, I started out as a teacher out of college. Um, I've, I've been a bartender before. I've done uh, a number in, in some other random jobs, um, but, but mainly a teacher right out of college. And then, um, and then Ferd Neiman comes along and asks me to, if, I wanna, if I wanna join him on this, on this journey here. Um, so, uh, he asked me to, if I wanted to be a park manager for him, and I said yes. And um, I started out in Delton, Missouri, is, is the park that I'm managing and, and kind of rehabbing there. And um, that's kind of how I got into it. All right. Yeah. And as you'll, as you guys will hear from today, Austin's more of the, the full time, hands on park manager. You can get as low as I say low, but I don't mean, don't mean to be offensive. You can be as low on a compensation as like a park greeter. We've got some park greeters that do very, limited work for us, like hand out notices, you know, once a month or read the water meters once a month on a 16 unit park and they get paid like $75 a month, you know, and they got park readers that get free lot rent. Some of them get free lot rent and $10 a pad. Some of them get, you know, 500 bucks a month. And then you've got all the way up to the park manager of, a, of an infill project or a turnaround project. And we've got several of those. And also one of them where he gets a, he gets a salary. Uh, I like to say, I'd like to pay the managers a, you know, a living wage salary, but not much more, frankly. I'd like them to be motivated via commission. So salary plus commission plus bonus. And Austin sold, I don't know, 50 houses in the last 18 months. So he's, you know, probably made more on commission and and on he got a nice truck as a bonus and some other bonuses. Um, so it's a, I like to do it as the owner um, to not have the manager just be sitting there collecting checks about having a compensation structure that works like that that naturally happens. And it's not, it's not for everybody, but we try to, that helps kind of from an ownership stance, flesh you out. So Austin, I, I had a good feel for your job, but for those of us that, uh, those other people who do not, tell us some of the, the key 
roles or, or kind of job categories that you work on as a, as a, you know, if you're property manager, but you're also kind of a project manager of sorts. So tell, tell us what that looks like. Yeah. I, um, I wear a lot of different hats, um, which, like I said before, does make the job exciting. Um, I get to do a lot of different things. The, uh, I guess my role, how I understand it um, and how I've kind of done it is, um, you know, we're taking a part that, that needs a lot of work. Um, and so there's a large project management aspect to it. Rehabbing houses, bringing new homes in, um, and then you also have to fill those houses. So the leasing side of it, um, doing showings, um, walking pre people through the loan process, um, getting people moved in, that, that kind of thing. Um, there's also the, you know, you're dealing with tenants um, and, and their issues and um, you're collecting rent. Um, you're dealing with personnel management and vendors. Uh, so there's a lot of things that kind of go into it um, to, to make the whole thing run. Sure. Now, when I, when I offered you the job, I'm pretty sure I told you that the first 90 days is the worst the hardest and then the next 90 is not quite as hard and then it starts to, to level out is is that is has that proven to be accurate the last two and a half years um we we move at uh, quite the pace here so i mean the first 90 days were definitely hard um well i mean by hard i mean uh, we had a lot going on i think you used the phrase uh drinking water through a fire hose um so um but a lot happened in those first 90 days and and the people who, and the, the tenants saw an immediate change um, and jumped on board with us and did, uh, you know, they, you know, started cleaning their own lives and started taking pride in their own homes and their lots. Um, uh, I don't know if level out is the word I would use because um, we're always looking for new things and, and um, new projects and ways to make the park better or, or, um, I think my role may be a little different um, because our relationship and stuff, I'm, I'm probably brought in on more things than, than maybe a normal park manager would be. So, um, so I won't say level out, I would say kind of evolves. My role kind of evolves and changes and, and I get to take on new responsibilities, which is, uh, which is always fun too. So. Right, yeah. So as you know, you're, we're now doing another park here in Kansas City that you're helping out with Steve and then also Park in Nebraska, you're helping out from afar. So you are kind of wearing numerous hats there, but just to, I want to identify some of those first 90 days projects, things that are always challenging. You know, you're going to roll out leasing guidelines and rules, start enforcing rules, typically a rent increase, and then capital expenditure projects. Like in Belton, we did, you know, repave the streets, cut down, I think we cut down 60 tons of trees. We demo a couple houses, and then as the spring came, we painted, I don't know, 20, 25 houses, uh, planted 60 rose bushes, planted, put in fencing and signage and things like that. So those are kind of the one-off projects. It's like, man, you're trying to get used to your job, and then you're, you got all this, this one-off stuff. And oh, and submetered the water, by the way, and did that as well. Um, so those are the one-off projects, and for the most part, that calms down in the, after about six months, and then you're just doing, actually just doing what you're doing, the other things. Like you mentioned, personnel management, project management, leasing sales, advertisements, uh, new home move-ins, which can be a challenge depending on the lot, right? I mean, if the lot is up front and it's big and spacious, it's not that tough. If it's in the back and it's tight and there's 19 cars away, 
you know, it's kind of a fire drill uh, on the day of day or two before and day of arrival. So, um, yeah. What, what would you say is your, your favorite part of the job? And I'm gonna ask you your least favorite part next and you can't say you're supervising. <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite part of the job um, is probably, uh, I don't know if this is gonna sound um, cheesy, but uh, is, is actually, you know, when the move-in process or, or, or finalizing um, the sale and, and the excitement that you see kind of on the, on the, um, the new resident's face. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people, uh, and you kind of, we've kind of talked about this before, Bird, but, um, you know, people purchasing a mobile home, it's not a, it's not a, a new, it's not a thick built house or something like that, but it's ownership and people, um, a lot of people don't think they'll ever own anything. So um, seeing them get excited and, and realize that they themselves can, can own their own home um, is, is, is a really fun part of the job. No, for sure. I, we've, I know we've been there for several of those stories together and, and people, you know, crying when they got approved, they're so happy and they can't believe they've had a house this nice because a lot of these folks have come from substandard apartment housing. And they're surprised. That's one thing I like about 21st Mortgage. I know they can be a hassle at times. And I can't imagine anybody sends more emails on the planet than people who work for 21st Mortgage. But um, their lending standards are reasonable in the sense that, you know, they let people in who don't get approved but for cars sometimes. So it's, it's unbelievable to me. People are like, yeah, these, a lot of these residents have been told no their whole life. You know, no, you can't own a house. No, you can't own a car or you're going to buy it at a buy here, pay here place and pay 200% interest. It's going to choke you every month. And then you miss your payment. They turn off the ignition and it's just a nightmare. So it's been nice to be, as we call them conversions, convert people who come in as a renter. And as you know, that's one of our marketing strategies. We market the home for rent and then when they get there, say, you know, we'll rent it to you, but you can save money and have private ownership. If you buy it, they're like, well, I can't get approved. It's free to apply. And 21st more doesn't approve, doesn't approve everybody, but they, they approve a lot of people. And yeah, that's, that's been, that's been great for sure. What tip, I know you deal with 21st words all the time yeah. um, and they may approve a lot of people, but not a lot of people follow through and, and get through the gauntlet. Yeah. It. What are some tips or tricks you can share with our audience on, on that process? I know you see a lot of people just fall off the face of the earth on that. And as you say, ghost you, but uh, what, what, what tips can you share on that? Um, I think one of, one of the main things as far as like keeping people, uh, I don't want to say interested because they're obviously interested in buying a home, but kind of keeping people on the hook, I guess, is uh, just doing it, doing it quickly, being on top of it. Um, as soon as you get the approval, as soon as that email comes in, says, because what, what happens is we'll get an email saying someone got approved at the same time they do, the same time the, the applicant does. So um, immediately getting on the phone and saying, hey, how can you know, congratulations, we'll congratulate them first and, and share that moment with them for sure. Um, and then say, um, and then wh what, what can we do to get these documents in? Um, Cause that's the, that's always the part where you get hung up is trying to collect paycheck stubs and proof of down payment and bank statements and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so just being on top of that right away and, and, 
walking them through exactly what they need. Um, some people get flustered in those situations. So really kind of laying it out for them. Um, sometimes you have to, uh, it's not as easy as getting a, a savings account statement because they don't have a savings account. Um, so coming up with creative ways to prove whether it's income or how they have their down payment um, or where that down payment's coming from. Uh, and because I think some, sometimes it's overwhelming for them because they, they're not used to tracking that stuff down. So being a part of that process with them and helping them, uh, showing them that you know it's, it's easier than they think and, and I can help them with it as well, so. Sure. No, I definitely, I remember a couple in particular with people that they're like, oh, I'll never get approved. I get paid in cash. And I was like, well, that's okay. If you have a bank account. Remember one guy, Ryan, he's like, I said, he sells tires for a living. You know, like picks up dead tires and takes them to the dump, I guess. So he, he buys tires from dealerships and stuff and mechanic places. And I was like, why aren't you buying? Oh, I can't buy. I get paid cash. I said, do you have a bank account? Yeah. Do you put your money in a bank account? Yeah. Like regularly? Yeah. Every, like once a week? That's a paycheck. I mean, there's, it's different every month, every week, but it's, it's somewhat consistent. And 21st mortgage just required, I think, eight or 10 weeks instead of the normal two pay stubs. But got that guy over the hump and boom, yeah. he's, a, he's a homeowner and he never thought he would be. You know, he made good money. He just he was just in a non-traditional format. He's an entrepreneur. You know? And he's been a great resident too. I mean, he was, he was a good one for sure. Right, for sure. So what, what other tips? I mean, I know you, you deal a lot with you know, our handymen, our contractors, and we've done so many parking models and so many infills in this park and, and now in the other parks in the region that we've got full-time guys on the maintenance crew. And that can be like herding cats. We go through a lot of, a lot of maintenance guys um, in different properties, it seems like. So how do you keep these guys in line and, and keep the wheels of commerce moving as it pertains to turning over units? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, I think um, one of the main things to, to keep things moving and to keep guys on task um, is to keep things simple for them. Uh, I think we've learned that uh, you can't just uh, kind of rattle off, you know, the plan that's in your head. You got to kind of break it down um, kind of step by step. Um, and, and by that, I mean, really just making lists of things, um, giving them uh, a priority task sheet. So these are the jobs that need to get done preferably today. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you always run into snags and other things that, that kind of get in the way, but, uh, and, you know, work on this task until you're done and then move on to the next one um, and make it real clear so that they know what to focus on. Um, uh, because you're, my vantage point, your vantage point, Ferd, uh, you're, you have a higher vantage point, so you have even more things going on, but um, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, the vendors and the, in the, in the, um, the applicant, the person that wants to move in and, and, and the tenants and the, and the, um, and the bank, 21st mortgage. So I have a much different picture than they do. So I might think, um, so I need to, I need to hone that in for the laborers and say, okay, this is what, what I need you to do. And, and I'll tell them why. And we have a tenant moving in in a week, we need to get this done. Um, so really giving them a why, really giving them, being specific with them. Um, 
The other thing with that is, is knowing your personnel and, and using them for the right thing. So uh, like we have, we have one guy that's, that's, well, well, I don't know if I should say his name, but we have one guy who's been with us for a long time. Who's uh, who is, I mean, super talented um, and has saved us in a pinch a hundred times. Um, but good luck getting them to show up to work before noon, you know, um, or, or, you know, but, but when he shows up, he works hard. And, and if you point him in the right direction, um, he'll do good work for you. Uh, we have another guy who's really good at drywall. I would, I would put him in on drywall over another guy. Um, but we have another guy who's more, who's better at, who thinks more like a manager and, you know, I can send him on supply runs maybe, or, um, kind of, put him in charge of um, timelines and, and, and deadlines and stuff like that. Um, so knowing who your guys are helps a ton too and, and putting them in the right spot. I think, I think that's just a good management tip in general is knowing your team and knowing what their strengths are and what they're not. Mm -hmm. And what you describe is the, you know, the priority order list. I mean, that's the, that, that, that is set forth in the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. I learned it years ago when I was in the insurance business. I think it was from, um, Charles Schwab and not the investment bank, but the Charles Schwab that worked for Rockefeller. And he learned from a guy named Lee Ivey. And it's just basically a today's plan. We do it, every one of us, every single day in priority order. For the contractors, we tend to taste and learn to take that out of their hands. And then we do it every day for them. Hey, here's your today's plan in order, in order, in order. Do not go to step two until you finish step one. And then go, they can focus their energy and their intellect on the, the skilled labor task as opposed to the, you know, planning tasks and sometimes they, they send the team to lag but i think that's a good that's the best way to make your life difficult is to let the laborers be unsupervised and they're they're going for a two-hour lunch they go to home depot and they're like what happened you know oh yeah i forgot i had to go to get pay my electric bill and i pay it in cash because it's due now or i'm gonna have the lights turned off but you have enough money we pay you this, i know how much money you make i know what your rent is you literally literally live here and I know how much you pay us, but you, somehow your money's gone. You know? yeah. So uh, another tip there, you know, we tend to pay our laborers on Tuesdays. Um, this is kind of a stereotype in the construction industry, but if you, if you pay the guys on Friday, they might go out to the bar or the club and they're out of money by Monday and then their kids don't eat for the rest of the week. So if you pay them on Tuesday, they go buy groceries on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then if they blow the money on Friday or Saturday, at least they got food in the, in the house. So it's kind of helping people help themselves because there's sometimes a history of bad behavior there. Um, I don't mean to be down on these guys. I, I love these guys. I, mean, you got, I don't even know how many. We sent out 1099s a day. I think it was like 100 of them. Um, so lots of guys on the payroll, guys and gals. But as long as they're working with us and working with them, it works. And I have another tip I know, tell us a little bit about your some of your checklists you put in place or we put in place together because I know that's a good way to you know, systematize things things for like your home move in and, and tell me so tell me some more of them that have made your life easier yeah absolutely i mean i mean i i mean i've really discovered the uh, the um what's the word i'm looking for there just that the necessity i guess of of lists and how much uh how much they make your life easier um so just putting together you know for the you mentioned um the homes coming in just having a list of everything that needs to go. It sounds simple, but um, sometimes you, you overlook that or, or you, don't, you don't have it in place. Um, and it, everything that needs to be done from 
when the home arrives to when they move in and who needs to do it. And uh, so you just, you go down the list and you, and you, and you, you check the stuff off one at a time as you go. Um, and then, and then again, like I said, making sure the laborers have, have that list as well so that they can um, kind of do that. And one of the things with moving homes in, um, because that's something we've brought a lot of homes in, a lot of brand new homes some used homes as well. Um, so being able to do that process repeatedly um, and, and using those same lists and, and updating them when necessary, um, then the laborers know they understand that um, process you know, because we've done it so many times and, and we've done it in a certain order so many times. And so it's kind of trained in their brain. So at that point, they can, um, you know, they, they're they ahead of me on some stuff. They're like, the the electric got turned on on one of the, uh, you know, you have to have the average, you bring the electric meter on to one of the homes, um, to the homes when they get brought in um, after they pass inspection. And and one of the laborers saw that Evergy was there and put the meter on and knew that we had, um, knew that we had someone ready to move in. And he got a hold of me. He said, Hey, I just saw Evergy here. They put the meter on. Can I go in and, and start doing the, the things um, on the list that we're able to do now because we have energy because we have electric in the house. And, and I said, absolutely get over there and do it. And he did. And, and so, um, you know, because we have the list and we go in order every time, he knows what to do when that meter comes in. So um, they, they help out a ton. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good example of having your team understand the supply chain process. So mm-hmm. I should do a whole podcast on bringing and moving it home because there's so many steps involved. But I know in at your park, for example, that you have to have, it. you know, the install guys set it, block it down, tie it, hook up the water sewer. Then you can, and then we hook up the electric, the electric line, but then we get an inspection. Well, then Evergy, the electric company, comes and hooks up the juice. Well, okay, well, now we can do the next level of inspection, which is skirting it, deck, uh, make sure the panel box is good, air conditioner, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's going through that process and knowing, hey, when the home is there, we can't put skirting on, right? We can't put the deck on because it's you got to wait for the inspection or you got to wait for the install guys to tie it down properly. But what can we do? Well, we can install the blinds on the inside. We can install the light bulbs. We can get all that kind of stuff ready. Make sure the smoke detector, fire extinguisher, all that kind of stuff. Um, pictures, ads, you know, put the staging furniture in there. All those sort of items to get the ball rolling. So as soon as the electric's there, boom, we're ready to go. And we've sold many houses before they were ready. We got people waiting on us, you know, which is a good problem to have. But it's, it's stressful if you, you mess up the timeline. And you miss something. Oh crap! I forgot to do this. I didn't get the permit. Uh, and then you got to slow down and do the thing. You lose a day. You lose two days. Oh, then it rains for a day. Now you lost. That's a weekend. You know. And then, crap! We lost four days because I forgot one step in the process. So yeah, it's definitely a good idea. And then that's why we, what you find good guys, you know, pay them right, treat them right, and keep them around. You know, to retrain them. And you know, our one friend, you know, in particular, who shows up at noon every day. It's like I want to fire him. What, once a week, if I said I'm going to fire him, but he keeps coming back. It's like that scene in Dumb and Dumber where, like, and you totally redeem yourself. Like, that's what he does. He's like, Yeah, I just saved you a thousand bucks in, in an hour solving this big problem. Yeah. It's like, Okay, you know, and mm-hmm. get 
we each have our own, right? Uh, you're not that good looking, but you tell good jokes, so we keep you around, you know? So it's like, you got to figure out there's some ebb and flow and some balance, um, balance to keep people around. And when you find somebody good, keep them for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I know you manage people um, on that. I know you manage tenants. Tell us, give us a tip or two on dealing with your residents. And the residents, you know, they're the lifeblood of the, of the company, right? Without them, we don't, none of us get paid. And, but at the same time, some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. How do you how do you handle, you know, residents that are out of control or residents that are you know, disrespectful or are just overall difficult? What's your strategy? Um, yeah, I mean, you do get residents that are uh, that. How do I put it politely? I guess they um, they think their problem is the biggest problem in the world. Um, and you're looking at your list of stuff and you're like, that's not a problem. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is. And we, and we do take care of the tenants. I don't want to make it sound like, um, like we don't, but, um, you do get tenants who, um, who get upset or other things like that for various reasons. And, uh, and the biggest thing I've found is, um, just deescalate, just, you know, don't treat it like the problem that they think it is um um, kind of match them where they're at and then kind of talk them down a little bit um explain one of the biggest things is kind of explaining my process on how i do things and then when they understand how it gets from them having a problem to uh to communicating that with us to getting someone out there to fix a problem once they kind of understand that process um, then they kind of, uh, it kind of corrects things. So you'll, you'll have a problem with a tenant, hopefully once, maybe twice. Um, and then once they understand how the process works, um, let me, let me, let me interrupt you so I can emphasize like problem is not like, Hey, I smell gas. My house, you know, if problem right. is like my dishwasher doesn't dry properly. It goes slow. Like, yeah. okay, that's unfortunate. We can fix that if it's a parking home in particular, but I've got three other families moving in today and my guys are all putting decks or building decks, or I've got uh, the guy in number five has his pipes frozen. So I've got two guys underneath the home trying to de- you know, defrost the pipes. And that's, that's more important, you know, sorry, somebody else's issue is more important to me globally. And then you have to measure, you have to weigh all that. So that's what you're talking about. I know that, but I wanna make sure that it's not just, you know, write it off. But then the other problem we get with residences their personal problems impact their life and they want to impact your life. They'll, I always say, don't let them steal your time because they'll, they will, we always have, we have our meetings standing up and walking. So we're always moving and Hey, gotta run, gotta run, gotta run. As opposed to sit around or they'll pop in the office. And let me tell you about my niece has, she has that COVID and I'm not supposed to be, Oh my gosh. And then, Oh, I, I lost my, my car payment is behind. And, and let me tell you about my cousin who got in a fight and it's like, I got to keep working with a lot of these residents have nothing better to do than small talk all day. So it's, so we have to politely let them know, Hey, I'm, I'm in the middle of something or I'm in a meeting or I'm, I'm going to this other appointment without making them feel like you're blowing them off because you don't want to blow them off. But at the same time, you have to guard your own time when they will steal it. And, and I know you, you've learned how to do that. And, yeah. um, but if you've lost a lot of time they try to steal it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing with that is, uh, and, it, and it took me a little while to figure out, figure out exactly how to do this, but 
set set boundaries that are clear. And so so uh, it's not I'm not dealing with it each time a tenant comes in and wants to steal my time. Um, you you have a when there are certain tenants that habitually kind of do this um, that you'll find. Um, and so being able to set boundaries with them and say, hey, well, um, when I'm like, you can't like, I can't be interrupted during these times or, um, you know, I can talk to you, you know, if you want to talk to me about that, I can talk to you, you know, when I'm leaving work um, or if it's not something that pertains to, um, you know, you know, if you're not putting in a repair request or something that affects you in our tenant kind of uh, manager relationship, then, then it's something we have to wait to talk about um, and kind of set those boundaries. Um, and then they're not gonna follow them ever, uh, but you can, it gives you something to remind them of, hey, remember when we talked about this and they're oh yeah, okay, sorry, I'll come back later or something like that. And that way they don't feel, um, they don't feel like you're blowing them off uh, and you can still maintain that a good relationship with them um, and things like that. So setting boundaries, I think is the biggest thing. With that. Right. No, I think that's good advice. And just for the other park owners out there, it's ideal if you find somebody like Austin who is fluent in Spanish, because I speak zero Spanish, but Austin speaks Spanish. So that helps a lot. We have, I don't know, eight or 10 Hispanic residents, maybe 15 out there now. Um, we got Juan, he speaks Spanish. Hector speaks Spanish. Those guys are other parks, but um, Kristen speaks some Spanish. I'm trying to think who else maybe else speaks Spanish. I think Andy actually speaks some Spanish too, but dad and I speak zero Spanish. So it's nice to have people that do because it's hard to communicate when you don't. And, and I can use Google Translate and translate my you know welcome letter into two languages, but I can't articulate lease terms or, or pricing or something like that to a customer so that's that's a helpful skill for sure um what other what other information you want to share anything else you can think of tips for tactics or job duties that you think would be good for our listeners to hear yeah i mean i think um the biggest thing um that i've kind of learned is just uh maintaining relationships so just uh, um having good relationships with the vendors, having good relationships with the tenants, having, you know, good relationships with the workers. Um, because, because it's a, I mean, it's, things happen all the time. So there are times when, um, you know, for, with the, with the, uh, with the tenants, for example, you know, if I, you know, um, if I'm like shooing someone away because they're taking up my time, you know, um, that's going to create a bad relationship and that's going to affect, uh, they're going to have a negative attitude, you know, um, they're not, you know, if it's, it can affect a lot of things, whether they, you know, respond to you when you ask them to clean up their yard or, you know, paying rent on time or, you know, a number of other things. Um, same thing with the with your laborers. Same thing with your vendors, because um, you're going to have to ask things of people at, at different times. And if they're mad at you, or or they think you, um, you know, blew them off or something like this in this example, um, then they don't. You know, they're not going to respond to you as as well. Um, 
So I think just maintaining those relationships um, is is one of the biggest things I think you can do as a as a manager. Sure, just basically being likable, being being you know righteous and just with people. I know I was debating on this park if I was going to keep the prior manager or not when I was in my due diligence, and I and I rarely do. And this park was it wasn't horribly mismanaged. It was just it was mismanaged and the occupancy was really low. Um, collections were low. So I guess it was mismanaged, but the woman there, her excuse was the ownership didn't give me enough money. didn't give me enough team members. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, I'll be involved. And these guys were out of California and Chicago. So they didn't, didn't, they hadn't been to the property in like three years. So anyway, I was debating keeping her and she was sharp, but she just wasn't, which wasn't working. But when I was there, I was, you know, I was the potential buyer. So she was trying to press me and give me time and attention, which is, which is fine. But some of the residents came in and wanted to talk to her. And I remember a particular Hispanic woman and she spoke, said something in Spanish. And, and she said, one of the, like, Kayla's the manager's like, no Spanish. One of the main guys is talking Spanish. Like, no Spanish in here. We only speak English in the, in the company. You know, she did like they're going to cut some deal in Spanish that she didn't know about. But mm-hmm. she was super rude to the customer and residents. And hey, I'm in a meeting. Can you not see them in a meeting? Like, almost like adults are talking, you know, just was really, really rude. And I was just like, if she's doing that in front of me, what is she doing when I'm not here? Right. She's not going to have that customer service vibe. And, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot and see if you got the answer right. But what's the number one job function for you? Sales. Sales. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you better not say customer service, but it's really sales. I say sales is your, is your top job priority as a property manager, then sales and then sales. And then, and then you get other stuff like people management, personnel management, office management, you know, dealing with special projects, dealing with, you know, bookkeeping, et cetera. But it's, it's the sales because without sales, you know, you can never really increase the occupancy. You never really increase the value of the asset, which is relatively important to me. Right. So this woman was going to be horrible at sales because she wasn't kind to people. So um, that's why I knew you'd be good at sales because like, you were a likable, jovial fellow. I was like, I'll teach you property management. I'll teach you the real estate business. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, it's hard to teach. You can teach sales skills, but you can't, it's hard to teach uh, demeanor and personality to somebody who's an old curmudgeon. And, and you, it's hard to convert that. Uh, you know, Frank Roth, I love this quote of his. He says, it's easier to change people than to change people. So that's what I did. I changed management and, and, and it worked out well. So it's been, it's been fun. I know you're, you're going to be uh, relocated soon. You've, you've put yourself out of a job uh, by filling all those lots, but that's, that's good. So you're going to get relocated. Uh, so that's, that's awesome as well. Uh, appreciate you coming on Austin. Any more closing comments before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, I think just um, it's, I never thought I would be in the mobile home business, but it's been uh, it's been quite the adventure, and uh, I think we have plans to write a book about it or something. Oh, yeah. that's We got all these great stories. <laughs> Tell us your best story. That's a good point. Tell us your best crazy story about the homeless guy in the house. The I mean, what you got all kinds of these. Just... Yeah, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on here, but... Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Oh, um, no, I did, yeah. I mean, I did have a homeless guy come in, and we, it was like right when, um, right when we first were getting going, and I was in a a vacant home um, that came with the purchase of the park and I was fixing a, a 
closet sliding door. And I was, and to do it, you had to be inside the door because you had to hook, hook it up, right? So I was like inside the closet, like trying to hook this door. So the doors were like closed and I'm trying to hook the door on and then I get it on and I slide it open and there's a homeless guy standing in the room staring at me. Just like staring. And I was just, I mean, I guess it was just I was, if he's homeless or not, but I mean, it was, he was just standing in the room and I was just, there's a, I don't know you, you know, and it was pretty terrifying. Um, he turned out to be a nice guy or whatever, but I mean, that takes some, some, uh, cojones to just you know to walk up on on something well, and what's funny is since it, since it, if it was me i would have probably kicked him and you know um <laughs> and de- or defended myself or maybe i would have ran the screen i don't know but you're like hey man hop in my car i'm gonna drive you off the property you're not allowed to be here but you like literally drove this guy away like give him a ride to a shelter or something it was like wow that's good <laughs> one other funny thing i wanted to, you to tell us tell tell everybody about the uh our little furry friends that walk around in Belton that I've never seen before. Are you talking about the groundhogs? Yes. Oh man, I've never, I didn't, I don't think I've ever seen a groundhog before working in Belton at this mobile home park, but these guys have just overran, well, they started to overrun the the park. Um, so we had to get, we had to buy traps and, you These know, things we, are huge though. They're like, they're like groundhogs on steroids. Like they're, they got to be the biggest groundhogs in America. They're 25, 30 pounds, and they just roam and just dig holes in the earth and and then just destabilize pure foundations. They're just a nightmare. But anyway, how many times have I tried to catch those dang things? And they're just they're tough. But anyway. <laughs> I think you threw a rock at one one time. Yeah, you were supposed to say that. I, I did. I, I was defending. I was defending myself. It was actually a sledgehammer. It was a mini sledge. And, these things are ferocious. Um, yeah, we would. Hector would catch them live, and then he would put them in his band. And these things were so big, they would break out of the traps. And he's got <laughs> groundhogs running around. Yeah, yeah. The, the joys of the trailer park business, if you will. But, uh, things you don't think you're going to have to have to have to deal with. We'll, we'll add those to the book. But uh, anyway, thanks, Austin. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, Bert. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.